Welcome to the California Work Comp Report. Today is Monday, June 3rd, 2019, and we're discussing functional limitations and workplace restrictions with Dr. John Alchemy. Let's take it away. Tell me about functional limitations and how it applies to workers' comp. Well, functional limitations are something that took me a while um, in my practice to really understand and it wasn't until I got into more of the medical legal arena and the impairment rating um, that it started to become clear to me that the terms were um, uh, poorly defined and being used interchangeably as many terms are in workers compensation. Work comp as you know is a heavily um, legal and administrative space. Heavily. Heavily. Meaning we want to we want <laughs> to emphasize it's that. For, yes it's 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 heavily um, heavily administrative. Um, and, and these terms get thrown out. And as time goes forward, um, it becomes very confusing if you're not able to keep up with the lingo and have the definition straight in your head. Um, so one of the common situations is that <clears throat> when someone gets hurt, whenever they get into an active part of the claim, you have to make a determination whether this person can work or not. And if they can, are they at full duty or are they at some type of modified duty? Okay, that's the first area of confusion. So you have to decide that. Um, when making that determination, you need to think in your head in terms of three key concepts. And the three key concepts were actually laid out by the AMA Guides Companion uh, Manual. Um, which makes it very easy. The problem is no one's ever read it, or very few people have. So um, there is a companion manual that talks about um, uh, work-relatedness and functional um, limitations um, for work, okay? Mm -hmm. And the way they lay it out um, is as follows. There are three buckets to think about <clears throat> when considering someone to go back to work. And once you give someone a limitation, like no lifting over 15 pounds, the provider doing that needs to understand why they're limiting 15 pounds, mm. okay? And so, so the issue really becomes, what are the three buckets to think about when assigning a functional limitation? Notice I do not use the term work restriction. Although work restriction, you're going to see all day, all night on many, many notes, Everyone uses the term work restriction just because it sort of found its way into the lexicon of, of work comp, you know, layperson's world hmm. is essentially how it is. But, but I tend to use the term work limitations because it's much more, it's, it's much more descriptive of these three buckets. So let's run through the buckets quickly. The first one is uh, medical capacity. Medical capacity simply means that there's an underlying obvious or objective reason why a person has a functional limitation. So for instance, if the individual has an amputation at the shoulder of the right arm, okay, a medical capacity limitation would be no use of the right arm. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> uh, we're trying to make this really simple. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or let's say, let's go a little more subtle and say they have a torn rotator cuff and mm. we don't want them lifting more than five pounds because it might tear it. But we mm. know that there's objective medical evidence of a rotator cuff because we obtained an MRI and it was seen. Okay. Mm. So, so there we have like objective medical evidence with, an, with a well-defined underlying medical condition. Mm. 
Mm. Okay. So, so that's the first bucket. That's medical capacity. Medical capacity. Number two, number two is restriction. And restriction actually means that the individual is to avoid a certain activity because it risks life or limb, okay, hmm. for either the individual or a coworker or an individual near the coworker. And hmm. the example I like to use for this is seizure disorder. So if you have a seizure disorder and <clears throat> you are given a work restriction of no driving, that is simply to protect you from driving and having a seizure and crashing the car and seriously hurting or killing yourself mm. or those around you or those in the car with you. Mm. So, so restriction is actually a pretty big deal. Yes. And if you're gonna give someone a work restriction, you better be doing it because failure to comply with that restriction may result in serious harm or injury. Yes. Yeah. Now, the third bucket that we have is tolerance. And I think and I say that tolerance is usually what people mean when they create a functional limitation. For instance, um, Mr. Wilson has chronic low back pain and his back might have a normal um, uh, x-ray. He might actually even have full range of motion, might hurt him, but he can do full motion. Um, he has normal, you know, sensory reflexes and all that stuff. So essentially, he has no underlying objective medical problems. However, he says that if he tries to lift 15 pounds, his pain goes from a three to an eight, and it becomes incapacitating, okay? So in that situation, you give Mr. Wilson a functional limitation of no lifting, you know, more than 15 pounds. Why? Because if he does the symptoms become intolerable, okay? Hmm. And, and that's based on his tolerance, okay? It's not based that he's going to kill somebody. It's not based, um, you know, that he has a, a herniated disc with, yeah. you know, yeah. important symptoms. It's the just that he can't, can't do it. It's yeah. not based off of that, yeah. Right. And, and let me tell you, when, when restrictions are written on symptom tolerance, it drives people crazy. Why? Because... It is the most widely used form of work limitation indication, mm. and it's the most subjective. Mm. Okay, so so and and understandably so. But the bottom line is, is the individual reports what they're going to report. Okay, mm. and and I think doctors and providers sometimes get confused that if there's you know no indication for medical capacity loss, there can be no work tolerance, which is not correct. Okay, and it's just not the way the world works. Sure. So it, it makes no sense to have someone like Mr. Wilson say that um, I can't lift more than 15 pounds, write him for full duty, send him back to work, and have him back in your office in 30 minutes saying, I tried to lift 50 pounds and now my pain is actually worse. Absolutely. That serves no one any benefit. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so the best thing you can do if you're a provider and you're, and you're going to be writing limitations based on functional capacity, <clears throat> I'm sorry, ba based on symptom tolerance, based on symptom tolerance, is to clearly define what it is the individual can do, hmm. all right? So, so like, for instance, I may often say, well, can you carry groceries? Groceries are about 10 pounds. Can you, you know, lift a gallon of milk? That's about nine pounds. Mm -hmm. um, can you walk for more than 20 minutes? You know, so there are ways to help define what tolerance is. It's just mm -hmm. that it takes a little bit of time 
and you have to know which questions to ask. So if you don't know what the questions are and or you don't have the time, you're going to end up putting down limitations that are not appropriate. And, mm. and that is reason for the stakeholders to, to get upset. Mm. Yeah. We, uh, we spoke previously about the importance of differentiating terms and, and fully understanding for the, for the physician what the terms are. We, we spoke recently about exacerbation versus aggravation, how if you were to write, for example, exacerbation when it's really aggravation, that whole thing can turn around and, and open up a whole new claim when they realize that, in fact, it is a, is, is a permanent worsening of a pre-existing condition. Yeah. So it could make things so much just drag things out so much longer when you don't understand and work tolerance or, or tolerance is uh, actually the most common of the three as you mentioned um, it's tolerance followed by capacity followed by restriction in terms of which ones are the most commonly attributed to any certain injury so so you gave us a couple examples of questions to ask that that will kind of determine which of these three categories a certain injury can fall under. Do you have any other suggestions or any other particular questions that might help determine this for either the, the, the employer, the employee, the physician, et cetera? Well, uh, I, think I, have some, I think I have some practical insight that, that providers can, can think about, um, adjusters, employers, and, and actually the injured worker. One thing that, that very quickly helps bring clarity to this process is if a job description is available, okay? Mm. <clears throat> job descriptions um, can be very good, um, but they can be confusing as well. Usually if I ask um, an employee to bring me there or an employer to provide me a job description, usually what's given to me is something called an administrative job description that says this person needs a minimum of a high school diploma, must work well with others and have a good driving record, mm. okay? That's an administrative job description. It's saying, what, what are the qualifications of this individual to do the job? Okay. Mm. What, what I'm really looking for for a job description is something that will clearly state, you know, this individual has to work eight hours a day. They're required to work five days a week. Mm. They are required to lift 25 pounds 10 to 20 times per shift. They must sit for two hours at a time. They can walk for, you know, uh, continuously. You know, those are the kind of things that I need in order to look at their job description and say, you can do it or you cannot. Because I can give you, um, you know, a, a, a symptom tolerance lifting of no more than 25 pounds, okay? Mm and send you back to work with, quote unquote, some functional limitations. However, mm -hmm. if I see that your job description really only requires lifting up to 10 pounds, mm -hmm. you can do that. And in fact, you can return to full duty. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so, you know, having a job description is very valuable. Mm -hmm. And it also keeps inappropriate or unnecessary lost time off the books for the employer. Okay, because those things can affect um, insurance rates and things of that nature for, you know, lost time from work injuries and, and risk for their um, premiums and so forth. Hmm. So, so having a job description that is specific to the actual activities, very important. Now, I will tell you, this thing often goes off the rails. Why does it go off the rails? Because what's written and what the employee states that they do are two different things. Hmm. Okay. So you can understand why, um, you know, an, an employee might say, well, you know, that's not the job I do, or I'm required to lift 50 pounds. You know, this says 25, 
that's not correct. Okay. Yes. Now, now when the provider and or the adjuster gets wind of this disparity, the very first thing to do is to say, guys or gals, yes. sit down, go over this job description, edit it, and both sign it. Now, if, they, if that happens, then we have everyone on the same page and we can start over again. If it doesn't, we have bigger problems, okay? Some, someone is misinterpreting what the job actually is, and that needs to be fixed immediately. Now, while that's taking place, I often will default to something called open labor market restrictions, which means I don't really know what this person is supposed to do at work. Either the, there is no job description or there's controversy over the job description. And so then what I do is I write out basically whatever restrictions I think are appropriate, and I say, here are what we call open labor market restrictions. And open labor market restrictions simply means that if this person were to go out and look for any job on the open labor market, this is what they could and could not do. Hmm. And that's probably the cleanest way for the provider to, to um, navigate confusion when they're getting two different stories, essentially. Sometimes three different stories because the, um, the adjuster may be chiming in with, with an opinion too. Hmm. It seems like an effective method. Here, I can't do this. <laughs> Don't make me do this. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. There's also situations, and I won't go too far down this road, but they're very practical. When you do give someone a functional limitation, and they come back and say that the employer is not following. Um, that's kind of a no-no. That's said on the sheet. Obviously, the employer has to make a determination if they can accommodate or not accommodate. If they can't accommodate, the person goes home and they're considered totally temporarily disabled from the job, okay? Mm -hmm. Because there is no modified work. And that's, that's If kind they of can make an accommodation, yeah. yes, yeah. Now, if the employer can make an accommodation, then they're partially temporarily disabled and an accommodation is being made and modified work and, and they go forward until um, the restrictions either become permanent or they improve and the restrictions are, are removed. Um, situations in that, in the way that I handle it, when the employee comes back and basically says, my employer is not following my limitations, okay, um, the first thing I do is I advise the injured worker to talk to the insurance adjuster. Let the insurance adjuster handle that and find out what's going on in the workplace. Okay, that's step number one. Yeah. <laughs> step number two is that if the individual is coming back claiming that they're quote unquote on modified duty that's not being followed, okay, then I go to step two. And step two simply says the patient is unable to perform modified duty as provided by the employer, period. Yes. You get nothing more than that. It just says, I gave restrictions. He went back. Maybe they were accommodated, maybe not. But regardless, the employee is stating for whatever reason, they cannot continue to do the work. Okay? Period. Yeah. So, and, and then you, again, try to encourage a little bit of um, coordination between the parties. So, um, so, so it can be very confusing, but if you have a plan in place, um, you know, integrating people back with modified um, duty and functional limitations um, can be done, but it's like anything else. You have to know what you're doing. You have to have a good command of the terms and, and know what tools you need to have in place to make it happen. Otherwise, it will be abused <laughs> eventually. 
Well, it'll just be so confused that everyone's going to be convinced that no one's um, doing their job yeah. and it just goes down the wrong path very quickly. I see. So as a recapitulation, the overarching theme here is communication is key. If the employer knows what the, what the employee's limitations are, then at the very least, nobody, you know, they, they can't say that they didn't know when they have been putting the employee to work above their functional limitations. If the employee themselves communicates their limitations ahead of time, then they won't be put in a position where they have to go above and beyond their functional limitations. If the physician makes it very clear about the functional limitations, then when trouble comes up, the employee is kind of cleared by the physician due to the fact that they, they've been given medical precedent to not do these certain things. And worst case scenario, the adjuster gets involved. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and as a sidelight, you know, to, to any providers out there that are listening, when, when you get a whiff that this is happening, pick up the phone and call the employer immediately. And mm. pick up the phone and call the employer immediately with the injured worker there. And mm. get everyone on the phone and say, look, here's the situation. Here's the issue. Here's the confusion. Let's figure this out right now. And, you know, not waste any time and make sure that everything's being taken care of appropriately, and that we can document this. So, so no one's getting hurt doing the wrong type of modified duty. Um, everyone is meeting their you know, legal requirements here in the system, and you know, trying to avoid um, cases from having to go on to the next step, which is litigation. Because once that happens, everything takes longer, communication is very complicated, um, and, you know, and, and it's just not a great place to be managing a work comp claim. Kind of creates an awkward position between the employer and the employee as well. It does. It does. <laughs> so, sometimes it's just a simple misunderstanding. Um, other times it's, you know, one of the stakeholders believing that their opinions are, you know, the correct ones, despite, you know, obvious evidence and, and information they've been given. So, mm. Are there any closing statements that you would like to make on uh, the functional limitations here, John? Well, just a couple that we can clarify. Number one, understand the different types of functional limitations and don't use the word restriction without giving it proper uh, consideration and regard. Mm. We have medical capacity, which means that there's a clear underlying defined um, problem that is the basis for the functional limitation. Um, we have restriction, which means that if your um, instructions are not followed, that the individual may seriously hurt themselves or other people. And then we have tolerance. Tolerance is where the injured worker is stating what they can and can't do based on the result and impact of their pain on their function. All three are appropriate as long as they can be supported appropriately by the provider. And, and if you are going to put someone on um, symptom tolerance functional limitations, go out of your way in the chart to clarify what they can and can't do, not necessarily at work, but also at home, such as their activities of daily living. That's key. If you are going to have someone on modified duty and it's going to go on for a time, it's important to have a job description. And it's important to understand the difference of a job description from an administrative job description. So that's very key. And then finally, use common sense when there starts to be controversy and differences of opinion between employers, employees, and adjusters. Get the information as documented well as you can. Get a job description. Get it agreed upon. 
and then usually the way out um, becomes very apparent. Thank you for that, John. If you would like to learn more about functional limitations and workplace restrictions, visit our blog at blog.rate-fast.com and give RateFast a spin at rate-fast.com.